everyone, I'm Eleanor Stenson at IDR Law and in today's IDR Law podcast I'm talking to Sarah Jones, Director at Full Circle Funerals, who are based all over Yorkshire and now most recently in the Northwest. Um, I've asked her to come and talk to us today uh, about the impact of family and inheritance disputes on the way a funeral service is arranged and managed, as well as the positive impact of the funeral on bereaved families honouring their loved one's life and how this contributes to their being able to move forward after a loss. Thanks so much for joining us, Sarah. Really appreciate it. Um, I wonder if initially you might just give us some, some background to how you, you arrived in this sector um, and a bit about how Full Circle Funerals works. Yeah, sure, I will try. Well, thank you for having me. So uh, my journey to funeral care uh, was maybe slightly unusual. I started, uh, I went to medical school and then I started working for the NHS. I was doing surgery and specialising in vascular surgery. And then I realised that that probably wasn't the right career for me, but I wanted to take everything that I'd learnt and apply that to um, something I thought was important. And I'd always felt that funeral care was really important and that with the right support, people being able to engage in a meaningful funeral would be really helpful for them and could have an impact on their short, medium and long-term well-being. And I wanted to create a service that could um, facilitate that and could support people to create that. And I also really wanted to uh, try and encourage people and communities to be a little bit more comfortable talking about death, dying and bereavement and be spaces that people would um, be better supported after bereavement and while they are grieving just because people are slightly more comfortable and more aware of what would be helpful. So that's how I became a funeral director. So I opened Full Circle in 2016 and with a, with a, I guess, a pretty clear vision of what I thought good funeral care looked like. Some of your listeners might be surprised to hear that funeral care is completely unregulated so there are no national minimum standards. There's no code of practice. There kind of isn't a book that tells you what good looks like. So I uh, tried to take everything that I had learned from health and social care and then apply it into funeral care and how we run the service. So that's that's the journey. And um, I loved the introduction because everything that we do ultimately is about trying to support people to have um, connections and relationships that support well-being. And that was kind of a key part of what you mentioned in the introduction. So that was lovely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think culturally we are absolutely, um, you know, second to none in the way that we we just do not talk about death and dying and we don't make arrangements or if we do make arrangements, we don't talk to people about them. Um, I mean, we in my profession, um, the the, the the contact that I have from bereaved families is is always about um, some dispute or or inheritance issue which has occurred, and so I I always see them at a different stage to the stage that you will will meet them and and talk to them, and obviously in a different context, but. Um, that there is always the perennial issue of people not making wills and people not talking to people about their wishes and and actually from from that aspect the difficulties that then arise in inheritance disputes because people haven't communicated or um, or communicated in, in a way which is is unclear or or leads people to actually feel um that it isn't so much about the money, but it's more about the love and or and or the lack of love, affection, attention, 
the family relationship during the lifetime. So, you know, there's there's all these technical uh, written documents that, that we look at when we're being instructed, but behind that falls the 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 emotional and the 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 family history, you know, the, the family history and the the historical issues that have gone on um, during people's lifetimes. Um, and I think that the the openness that some other cultures have towards bereavement and to uh, to the way in which they conduct funerals and uh, and and you know and mourning uh, is is quite a, a healing process and I think you know I love the way that you communicate the the benefit of the the planning and the the management and the the real sort of focus um, in in some of your blog posts about personalizing funerals and and really connecting them to the person that that was alive not just going through the motions of what might be a traditional funeral maybe and I think you're right there are some challenges about how we as a society talk about death and how we whether we get wills or not and express our wishes but there's some also some really big positives and I think one of the big advantages is that there are so many different rituals that people can choose from. And those rituals might be informed by religion, spirituality, by family tradition, by how someone lived their lives, by what legacy they want to leave, by what was important to them. So I think there is also, because we are quite flexible um, and there are so many different choices for funerals, actually I think a really big advantage is quite how much is possible and there are opportunities for people to find meaning because there are so many different choices and so many possibilities and that that can be framed with whatever is important to people at the time but yeah the the there's a lot of um I guess our experience and evidence that suggests that the process of leaving wishes can be really helpful for the person leaving Mm -hmm. wishes maybe Mm. because they want to articulate what's important and they want the confidence that that's going to happen or because they then feel a little bit more confident that there's going to be less disputes or disagreement because they've made it clear what they want or because they just want to help their family. They think, well, let's just make the decision-making easier because I'll tell you what I would like. I'll give you some direction. But we also see and know that it's really helpful for people who then are fulfilling those wishes and the emotional labour involved in fulfilling those wishes it really is gifting. So it's like a really big, powerful, special gift if you can fulfill someone's wishes by as much as possible, making sure that the funeral reflects those. So we would, in the same way that it's incredibly helpful to have a will, it's also really helpful to let somebody know your wishes. And what's amazing about that is it doesn't need to be in detail. It could be one or two instructions. It could be a favorite song. It could be a reading. It might be a place. It might be an instruction about... Um, what place religion has in the funeral it might be something about ashes it doesn't need to be a hugely detailed document it can be one or two things the act of gifting is the same or it might be really detailed you know we support people um, who really want to to kind of think the whole thing through from start to finish and they're really clear about all aspects of it and that works too but I think it's sometimes people think it's going to be a really overwhelming job and actually just a couple of wishes are really, really helpful. But I suppose the other thing which everyone listening will probably know because of the people who be living listening to the podcast is that they're not legally binding, that it is just wishes and instructions 
but they're really powerful and helpful. But the key is to make sure that they are somewhere where people will find them. Yeah. So um, make sure somebody knows whoever is likely to be making the arrangements that they at least know they exist. And ideally, they've talked it through beforehand. And as you said, it's helpful to know why. Why is somebody yeah. chosen that? What's driving that? Is it love? Is it fear? Is it convenience? Is it family history? What is it that drives it? Because that just gives it a whole other layer of meaning. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, the the the, the emphasis that is placed on on the funeral service, I think, by by many bereaved families is is quite um, a responsibility um, for for funeral directors and I think you know in in the industry there as you say it's unregulated and so that in a time of a real crisis and in emotional pain you've got to put your absolute trust in the person who is looking after you in in arranging the funeral and there are plenty of, of people who might have to arrange many funerals in their lifetime but then also many people who haven't ever had that experience and to be guided through it and to sort of be given prompts or suggestions I'm sure is it is so helpful because it just it must feel like a complete minefield to to many um, especially those who are recently bereaved and, and having to make decisions is is almost impossible at that point hard yeah and you've raised something really important which is that people come to making arrangements with different levels of experience and with different life experience professional experiences funeral experience and I think it's really key that as funeral directors we recognize that and the first thing that we try and do is understand what somebody already knows what they're worried about if they're happy to share that what's important to them what their priorities are what they know about the person's wishes, what we always encourage them to think about who the other key people are for whom this is a really important yes. event and just sort of acknowledge who they are so that they're just kind of in their in their thought space yeah. and to start to, to, we always try and where possible, just raise a bit of a suggestion that actually it's possible for, people might have quite different expectations and needs, yeah. but with a bit of thought, it's often possible to reconcile all of those. Yeah. And what was really, really important, and I would encourage everybody to do, is just take a few minutes to think about the person who's died. And it sounds yeah. really obvious, but actually it's quite in the throes of everything, all the admin, all the planning, the registration, all of that. It's actually all, just taking five minutes to think, what was important to them? What do I know? What comments did they make about previous funerals? Did they come back and say, oh, did you see that? I like that. Or did they say, God, I hope nobody, <laughs> nobody does that at mine. <laughs> just, yeah. just five minutes to just take stock and actually you've probably in those five minutes without knowing it made most of the decisions that you need to because that those five minutes will inform the whole rest of the of the process but you're right some people just need us to facilitate and help them with some of the practical bits because they know what they need because they're really experienced some people need it broken down into step-by-step process and and um just be taken through each individual decision and step one by one and I think the key is that we do that rather than imposing what we think or what we think the right way is or our packages but actually we break it yes. down and can be flexible with what people need yeah absolutely I think um you know and it, it can be it can be such a, a healing process for for many families to to go through that and to you know touching on something you mentioned earlier about the 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 feeling of of doing what was right by the, the person who's died feeling like you fulfilled their wishes is 
is something that to to many really starts that that road to healing and and to to feeling like they've done the right thing and and a sense of peace um from that um i mean sadly in in my profession we we only ever get to see the um the, the difficulties that arise from disputes um between family members or even um, uh, third parties and family members over inheritance and uh, and what is to be done with uh, a person's estate. Um, I wondered if you had experience of of dealing with those sorts of issues at the point where families uh, approach you to arrange the funeral service and and how you go about managing those kind of difficult very intense feelings and, and emotions that, that are naturally running high at that stage. Um, because as I say, I often have a, uh, you know, I will often be approached in advance of a funeral and discuss potential disputes with people. And my view and my advice is always that they should allow the funeral to take place without confronting anybody or raising any issue but just using that as, as a period of remembrance and then any particular grievance they need to air, deal with that afterwards. Um, but, but I'm sure that you see a lot of this on the front line. And yeah, so I wondered if, if you might be able to talk about that. Yeah, so there's a few things um, that immediately feel relevant. The first is recognising that actually who has responsibility for making arrangements. I can't believe I'm saying this to a lawyer and to lawyers listening, but my understanding is, is really quite clear who has the responsibility for making the arrangements for the funeral. So in some respects, that does simplify things quite a lot. And traditionally, funeral carers has just sort of rolled with that. There is somebody responsible for making arrangements and that is who we will take instructions from and maybe recognise there might be other people involved, but actually really quite clear. Who is your client and who do you take instructions from? We try and have a slightly broader view than that, which is recognising that, um, yes, the law might be quite clear on that, but there are also often quite a few people for who this is incredibly important. We don't know what's gone on before and it's not really any of our business. It's um, our, We see our responsibility as trying to help as many people as possible find meaning and find something helpful from the funeral so as I said before we do sort of encourage people to think about who are who are the key people um, if they'd like to share some of their anxieties about that and some of the dynamics there then then that's helpful because that helps us to support them better and what we try and do is just as you've suggested acknowledge that it's a time that people are coming together who might not choose to come together otherwise. You know, they might have really quite actively chosen to not engage with each other because that's been difficult. But this is probably a time where they're going to want to come together because they want to be at the same event. But sometimes even just explaining that you can, many people can come to this and have their needs met without necessarily then needing to interact with each other or do anything together. There's no expectation that suddenly everybody is the best of friends and everything's reconciled. But maybe people might choose to put their differences aside for a period of time so that each individual can have their needs met by the same event or by different parts of the event. Because interestingly, we have a bit of a tendency to talk about the funeral in quite a time bound way. So maybe the 40 minutes at the crematorium 
or the service at church or the service somewhere else. But actually, there's quite an extended funeral timeline. So you've got maybe even the time before somebody dies where you're talking about wishes and what they might want. Then there's all of the time between somebody dying and the funeral where there's lots of opportunity for people to be involved. They might want to come and visit. They might want to say or do a few things while they come and visit. They might want to put orders of service together, put photos together. There's a lot of ritual and meaningful activity that people can engage in leading up to the funeral. Then you have the event itself, which of course is, is often incredibly important to many people. But there's also quite an extended period afterwards where there's lots of opportunity for post-funeral ritual, particularly with ashes or if there's a grave involved, but also outside of those um, specific things, so ashes and, and graves. There's also lots of other things that people might choose to do. There are memorial benches, there are memorial bird baths, there's jewellery with ashes, jewellery with fingerprints. It might be a regular event that people on the anniversary, people get together. There's lots of different things. And sometimes just by raising awareness that there are lots of different ways for people to engage in a funeral in kind of the wider sense of the word immediately takes the pressure off that one event and it helps people to see actually where they might like to get involved and what is meaningful for them and actually maybe that that doesn't doesn't have to be at the expense of anyone else yeah but we've also had times where that's that people it's just really difficult um, and and it, it's just incredibly challenging for people that they need to consider other members of the family and maybe even need to get into the same room as other members of the family. And that's that's really challenging. Interesting, we did a, a piece of work with the University of York trying to understand what what was most important to people who were arranging a funeral. And we've called them the five funeral factors. And one of the one of the key factors was wishes and how knowing somebody's wishes was a really helpful way to manage any conflict because um, you're fulfilling wishes. It's quite straightforward. You don't have to debate whether we're going to church or not, or whether it's burial or cremation, or, you know, that doesn't then become a focus of disagreement. But the other thing that most people said that were interviewed as part of it is that actually people just wanted to work together for the funeral. They wanted to set their differences apart and they just wanted to work together and make that funeral right and helpful and truly reflect the person who has died and then maybe pick up their differences again afterwards. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, I mean, that that makes complete sense um, to, to, to somebody like me who experiences um, on a number of occasions the impact that behavior at a funeral has on the dispute so um, if if there has been some inappropriate behavior or even non-attendance at a funeral um, of a very close loved one how that perception by the other parties within the the dispute over the money um, is felt very very strongly Um, you know that the perception of somebody not engaging or engaging in the wrong way will time and time again be the thing that is brought up and be sometimes a, a barrier to reaching a, a, an agreement or a settlement on on any financial dispute. Um, and so it is so important that that people are, you know, aware of wishes, but also don't allow those disputes or those um, those obstacles to to come in the way of actually engaging in something that can be not just healing for them, personally um, but for other members of the family and uh, you know as I say can often be seen as as a gesture towards reconciliation or a gesture towards coming together at some later stage if if a dispute arises 
um, it's it, it is so important, and I think that this is this is something that um, I, I I will see time and time again when I'm advising mm. clients on on potent, you know on disputes in advance of any sort of funeral service. Um, something that I've seen uh, as well on a number of occasions has been disputes over the, um, the the actual service itself. So it's it's helpful to hear from you that although you know strictly speaking there are certain individuals who have the right to make decisions um, that you will try to listen to to all or encourage them to listen to all concerned. Um, because that feeling of being left out is again mm. something that I hear echoed down the line yeah. when it comes to disputes. Yeah, I think the the, the idea of being completely disenfranchised mm. from making arrangement for someone who's really important is is really difficult, and that came up a lot in the in the research that we did. Um, yeah. That and often being disenfranchised comes with not being the person who can pay which is yes. difficult, particularly if somebody dies without a will, the person who steps yeah. up to pay then often is the person who has the responsibility to make the arrangements. And there's a power that comes with that, which is difficult. And yes. um, yes. there's, yeah, that can be really challenging. And probably the most challenging circumstance that we've seen is maybe when uh, parents have divorced and yes. they need to come together to make arrangements for their, their child's funeral. And um, maybe that one parent is in, in a much better position to pay than the other. And that can be difficult. And the ways, so we, we find that even by talking about the fact that there are many people for whom this is important, most people we, are inherently kind and good, aren't they? And want to do the yes. right thing. And that, that for most people, I think, is enough for them to think, yeah, OK, let's acknowledge this. I'm not going to give up all control and I'm not going to do everything that they want, but let's see if there's a way to reconcile then yeah. what they want with what I want without having to make concessions that I'm not comfortable with or that I'll regret. For a lot of people, that's enough. Sometimes we offer to, just to say well if you don't want to talk to them that's that you know makes sense for, for you know what feels right for you but maybe you could extend an invitation that they might if they wanted to talk to us or ask some questions the decision making yes. would still rest with you as our client but if you wanted to give them the opportunity to speak to us so that they don't they might not feel disenfranchised in the same way yes. then we we're will you know that's something we're very willing to help with Yes. And sometimes not the easiest situation to put yourself in, but you've got to trust that you're still clear who makes the decisions, but you're okay to listen and pass on, I guess, those requests and, and wishes to the client. Um, so you've got to be kind of careful that you're not setting expectations that can't be met. But for a lot of people, actually, that's quite real. They don't want to disenfranchise somebody, but they yes. also don't want them to suddenly get in a room and, and start taking over. So even being able to say, well, the funeral director said they're happy to, you know, for, for you to tell them what you would like, and then we'll try and, and see if there's a way to include that can be enough. Because yeah. we're really conscious that our the time often that we're with the family can be relatively short. We always extend the invitation to stay involved for as long as they like, and we offer a lot of brief and support and signposting. And people do sometimes stay connected with us longer than maybe you would traditionally think. But we're also really aware that that it's setting the scene really for how everything else gets organized and sorted yeah. out as in the bits that you end up having to help with if it's gone yeah. wrong. So trying yeah. to sort of instill a little bit of hope and a little bit of collaboration without people needing to make concessions they're not comfortable with um, yeah. can be really helpful. 
absolutely and I think I think that that um feeling of being heard and being seen um can can be so validating for for people even if it is ultimately somebody else that that makes the decisions and I think that it certainly um reflects on on your ethos to to be part of the community and and to be um to be to work with families not just to you know deal with the, the the executor of the will and you know sign everything off and then say goodbye and best wishes it's it's a process and it's often the the start of a more lengthy process one which you know may have bumps in the road and may have more difficulties for the family so preparing them well for that um in the uh, context of the funeral is is so important and and as I say having heard and seen the impact of how things have been you know different or gone wrong or, or you know people's actions are perceived to be a certain way at that stage at that very early stage that you're involved with I know how important it is um, and I think it's it's been so interesting talking to you about your experiences and your your role in in helping families to to begin their grieving and to, to begin that healing process of, of moving on um, and and how you manage those difficult relationships um, and and give people a voice um, and allow people to be heard and and listened to and supported um, and I think that it is telling that many families do choose to uh, keep their contact with you uh, sort of for, for a period longer than you might expect I think that that makes um, that makes a lot of sense to me having spoken to you about this in depth now and and I think that's testament to the services that you provide to the community and to families um, so I just want to say thank you so much for for joining us today and talking to me about how how you deal with things that that I hear about and talk to my clients about and that that have such a, a great impact on them. Um, and thanks to everybody for listening. Um, there will be uh, more interesting podcasts um, on, on varying topics uh, from time to time from the IDRN and uh, through us at IDR Law. So thanks so much, Sarah. Thank you for having me. Thank you.